Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Welcome again. I want to add my welcome to Grace Point. If you're a first time with us or haven't been here in a while, then welcome. Glad to have you. I want to ask you some questions. So we're going to jump in deep. Is there a mountain in front of you right now that you just can't climb? It's been staring at you. You've been staring at it. You've been wondering, how do I get over this mountain, around this mountain, through this mountain, how is it that I can survive and get to the other side? Maybe it's, there's a problem. Is there a problem right now that you just can't solve? A problem that is lingering out there that maybe you've been tasked to solve, maybe you've been asked to solve, maybe it's a a problem that you brought on, maybe it's a problem that has been handed to you, but it is a problem you can't solve. Is there a person you can't fix? Someone in your life, someone close to you, someone far away from you, somebody on your team at work, somebody that may be sitting right next to you right now that you can't seem to fix. You can't seem to get it worked out and get at peace with something in them. Is there a pain? Is there a trauma that you can't heal? You've tried the medicine. You've tried different things. You've tried doctors. You've tried counselors. But you wake up in the morning and you go to bed at night and that trauma still wakes up with you and still goes to bed with you. Is there an expectation that you can't fulfill? Maybe it's an expectation that's been put on you. Maybe it's a quarterly number that you've got to hit. Maybe it's an expectation that you have put on yourself. Whenever you think about all of these, and the laundry list can probably go on as far as the questions, but when I think of them, I get a, I get one particular emotion comes over me, and that emotion is impossible. I don't know if that's an emotion, but that's a narrative that comes to my head. It's impossible. Whenever I have an expectation I can't fulfill, I, I have a problem I can't fix, I, I have a person I can't fix, and, and, and I go there and I go, what am I to do with this right there? Well, I want to introduce you to the God of the impossible. This is not just some churchies, just some Christianese that I'm, I'm throwing your way. I truly hope that in this Christmas season and throughout the rest of your life, you will know and experience and walk with the God of the impossible, no matter your impossible circumstances. Luke chapter 1, if you're going to be finding Luke chapter 1, is where we'll be in a moment. But I want us to read Luke one thirty-seven out loud together, okay? So here it is. It's going to be on the screen. Here we go. Read it with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, about half of y'all are reading. I need group participation here. And I need you to read it like you mean it, okay? So even if you don't believe it, act like you do, okay? Appease me for a moment. Let's read it together. For nothing will be impossible with God. Again, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
Letting that sink in, letting that become the story that you're telling in your head when you can't meet those expectations, when that pain isn't going away, when you don't have answers to the problems, when you can't get over that mountain. This is the God that I speak of. This is the God that I want you to know and to walk with and to to experience in your life. This God that I speak of, he is the God that is immutable. When I say immutable, that means unchanging. He is the same God that was with Adam and Eve walking with him in the cool of the evening. He's the same God that will come riding in on a white horse in the book of Revelation. And he's the same God in my life to this day. His character never changes. His nature never changes. He is immutable. He is also in this incredible way, omniscient. He knows it all. You can, you can hide nothing from him. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is open and laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account. If you need to jot down and memorize Hebrews 4.13, that would be a good verse to memorize. Nothing. When I'm in public, he sees it. When I'm in private, he sees it. When I'm on my computer, he sees it. When I'm in, when I'm in an argument with Lori and nobody else is around, he sees it all. He sees it all. He's very, very aware. He's also omnipresent. That means he's as much in your house as he is in my house. He's as much in this room as when you go to the work tomorrow. He is everywhere at once and he is fully there when he is there. But he's also omnipotent. Means he can do anything. There's nothing, no expectation, no pain, no mountain, no, no person, no, no problem that you may be dealing with that he cannot navigate through. Doesn't mean he's going to take it away, but it does mean that he will be there with all of his strength and all of his might, fully, fully there. Jeremiah knew this. Jesus proclaimed it. The angel Gabriel that we just read from in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, proclaimed it. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says this, Oh, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power, omnipotence, he's able to make the heavens and the earth, and by your outstretched arm. Read this last phrase with me. Nothing is too hard for you. That is our God. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 19, 26. With man, this, fill in the blank. What is your this? I'm not saying it's a blank check, but when you look at the promises of God, there is a context that this is stated. But whenever you understand that whatever this is that God is leading you into, whatever this is that you're bringing to God, whatever this is, This is impossible, but God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. He is the impossible God in our impossible circumstances. When you are facing impossibility, you have an impossible God. And when you bring the impossibility of God to our impossible circumstances, guess what happens? Possibility becomes a reality. Let me say it to you again. When the impossible God, God beyond my understanding, God beyond my comprehension, God that I cannot put into a box, when I it comes to my impossible circumstances and they meet up, they coincide, they join themselves together, possibility becomes reality. In my life and in the possibilities and in the challenges and in the things of my life, we're going to be listening to angels for the next few weeks. Whenever you look at the Christmas story, you can't help but see the angels and hear the angels. 
The angels are communicating about Jesus in the story. Today, I want to give it to you in the most succinct and yet comprehensive statement I can give it. Whenever you think about the angel Gabriel and his message to Mary, that, that annunciation, that announcement, that, that, that time of him declaring to Mary, hey, Mary, I know you're a virgin, but guess what? You're pregnant. Here's what that looks like. It is the impossible God coming to the improbable person. Mary is by far an improbable person. To live an incredible gift. Now, I didn't say give, I said live. Because to give can be an inanimate object, can be a non-living object. We're going to do a lot of gift giving. But Jesus didn't come to just give us gifts. He came to live an incredible gift. To actually be a living gift for you and me. For imperfect people like you and me. I want you to read this out loud with me. The impossible God came to an improbable person to live an incredible gift for imperfect people like you and me. Let that become a message that you hear this Christmas season. Let that become a message that you take with you. Hark the herald angels sang, whether they sang or they spoke it, well, tomatoes, tomatoes to me. Uh, at this point, the angels said what? What did the angels say? We are listening to the angels in this season. There's a whole, I know when I come to the topic of angels, there's a whole lot out there on angels. There's a whole lot of people who talk about angels. This is what the Los Angeles Daily News said. The angel catalogs, there are angel seminars, there are angels pens, there are angel newsletters, there are angel websites, there are angel sightings. It looks like, now this is from a secular newspaper, don't, don't you forget. It looks like the winged ones have left the cosmic back lot for the forefront of popular consciousness. There's a lot of heavenly prophet in the angels. There's a lot of talk about angels. Listen, we gotta get, we gotta lay some base layers here today. I'm not going to base mine on some popular seminar or some popular book. I want to come back to this book that you see the angels in the very first chapters of the book. You see angels in the very last chapters of this book. You see angels all the way through. So what is this angelic world? Because I know we live in the visible world. We live in the material world. We live in the provable world. We want to be able to put it in a lab and to prove it exists. In fact, if we can't reproduce it, if we can't prove it, then it really doesn't exist. That's the world we live in. We have a world that we live in that is, I've got to see it to believe it. Okay? That's the ecosystem that we live in. But there is another ecosystem out there. There is a, another world out there. There is an invisible spiritual cosmic world out there. There is an angelic world out there made of both good and bad, I must say. Angelics, beings. And in that reality is where I want to talk about how this angelic cosmic world interacts this hidden world interacts with our known world, our physical world, our touchable world, our, the world in which we live and breathe in. And how do those interact? Scott McKnight, a professor from Northern Seminary, said this, just beyond the thin veil of the edge of the physical world is another world far richer, far deeper, far more inhabited. That world is filled with a hum of angels 
At times, God pulls back the curtain. That's what we're going to hope to do over the next from now through Christmas Eve. We're going to pull back the curtain for a moment. And we have a chance to observe that God's very presence is surrounded by thousands and thousands of angels. So what would that veil look back, pulled back look like? Now, I know in a world like America, we have this believe it, I got to see it to believe it, but yet, yet we do believe in angels. A study that came out just like back in July, I think it was, so it's brand new. 69% of Americans believe in the angelic. Now, okay, that's nearly 70%. 70% of Americans believe in the angelic. Well, okay, so now we've got at least a, a, some ground that we can start building off of. Now, the problem is, is that what do we believe about them? That's a whole, that's where the series is going to be going. But I think even greater disturbing is this fact. That two years ago, LifeWay Research did a study across American adults. Again, similar pool of people. of American adults believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. That's big. We have more people, here's here's, here's it in a nutshell, we have more people across our land, people like you and me, more people believe in angels than believe in the eternal existence of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. I have a problem with that. Because when I read the scriptures, when I read about angels, when I read the New Testament, there is no mistaking that the angels are pointing people to Jesus. So I can't really believe in angels from a biblical point of view and not believe that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Because if you listen to the angels, and that's what we're going to try to do in this, when the angels speak, we're going to hear a very clear message about who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, how Jesus fits into your life on a day-to-day basis. On Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the shepherds and their encounter with the angels. I want to invite you on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve this year is on a Sunday morning. It's on Sunday. So we're going to do our normal Sunday morning services, but we're going to add one. We're going to add one at 12.15. That way, if you have early morning breakfast things that you normally do or you want to have it closer to the evening time, then you can come in the afternoon. It's going to be, again, lots of options there. What we do ask, and it helps us be ready for you, we do ask that you tell us when you're coming. All right, now we're not going to take attendance or anything like that. It just helps us be ready. Helps us have the right food, right, the right child care in place, all that kind of stuff. So you help us, but also to do this. Think about your family that's coming into town. Invite them, bring them. Think about your friends, your one you've been investing in, inviting. Think about them, bring them, let us know who that is. But again, we're going to be talking about what the angels are talking about. We're going to be, in short, discipled by angels in this series. Because you cannot look at Jesus and not see angels. Angels announced his birth in a glorious song. Joseph heard from an angel we'll look at next week. When an angel comes to him and gives him the news that, hey, your bride-to-be is pregnant and you need to marry her. Jesus was threatened in his life. And what what does the angel do? Comes to Joseph and says, you need to go to Egypt. Whenever the time was safe to come home, the angel told him to come back home from Egypt. Whenever Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, at the end of that time of fasting and tempting, Guess what happens? The angels come and minister to him. 
Whenever John's gospel is talking about angels, he says that believers will be able to see them ascending and descending into heaven. When Jesus was tested at the limit, at the point of him going to the cross in Gethsemane, the angels came and ministered to him. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so we have it prior to his suffering and his death on the cross, to his resurrection. Guess who's there? The angels declaring his resurrection. Whenever you find him ascending into heaven, guess what? The angels are there telling the disciples what you just seen. You cannot talk about Jesus and not talk about angels, but hear this, hear this, hear this. You cannot talk about biblical angels and not talk about Jesus. There are good angels and there are bad angels. One of the things I've done in this preparation for this series is I've tried to read through different authors on angels. And there are lots of secular authors out there that do not hold this book as sacred. and The angel talk as, as, as sacred here. And here's the danger of that. Is what happens is there are books out there that are espousing angelology that's not biblical. In fact, one book I, I picked up and been reading 12 chapters Jesus is mentioned two times in 12 chapters. Let us beware of what we're reading. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and let us see six months. Six months, Mary, uh, Aunt Elizabeth is pregnant. Six months, and she, in her own miraculous um, pregnancy and, and, and birth that I don't have time to go into and tell, is told right prior to this, this passage where the angel Gabriel comes and with a message from God. Now, I want you to know this. This is a kind of an incredible kind of artistic way of writing this, these two verses. Notice it starts at a very high level. Gabriel was sent from God. Two named people, entities, if you will. God's not a person. God, God, the God of the universe sent Gabriel, the, the angel messenger, to this earth. Where did he send? Not just to this earth. He sent him to Galilee. Notice what it's going to do. It's going to go from the heavens. It's going to make its way down to Galilee. But it's not just to Galilee. It's going to even name the city. The city, the zip code, the address of Nazareth. It's not only going to name the, the, the city, the, 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 the region, but it's also going to name the home. All the way down to Mary. So you just see this great dissension into the macro to the micro of, of this person. And now notice this, the name of Mary is not even mentioned here. It's Joseph's fiance, Joseph's bride-to-be. Now, why is this significant? You see this beautiful message of God of the universe coming down to an unnamed girl, probably 15 or 16 who's engaged to someone named Joseph, who finds out, and this is engagement, it's kind of like engagement on steroids. It's a betrothal. They're betrothed to be married. Then he says, there's an agreement. Parents have agreed. There's been money exchanged because that's how they, they did things back then. And there's money exchanged. And it's in this waiting period. They're getting ready for the wedding. It's all the responsibilities and none of the benefits. The way our kids said it like this, and I can't remember which kid said it. Said, so they haven't gone on their honeymoon and she's pregnant. Yep, they haven't gone on their honeymoon and, and she's pregnant. Can you imagine that moment in time? Can you imagine what Mary's going through? And she's having to have this, again, the impossible God 
comes to an improbable person to live an incredible gift for imperfect people like you and me. Let's read the story in verse 28. And he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. And she is greatly troubled by this saying and tried to discern the sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Yeah, you angel comes to me in the night and tell me I'm not going to be afraid. That's, uh, I'm going to be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Great, great. What's, what's my favor? What's my, my treat from God? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. What? I want you to underline several words here. If you have your print Bibles and I always recommend that, circle the word Jesus. It's going to be significant. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Circle the words most high. The Lord God will give him a throne uh, 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 of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Circle the idea of a kingdom that never ends. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in the power of the Most High and will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called, again, gives another name. Circle this one, Holy Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is uh, old age and also conceived a son. And she's in the sixth month of her who is called barren. For nothing. Say it, read, read it with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to the word. And the angel departed from her. You look at this passage. I want us to see. I want us to be taught. I want us to be discipled by the angels and see four beliefs of the angels. One of those beliefs that we need to understand is that Jesus is the impossible savior. That's who Jesus is. Number one belief, he's the impossible Savior. Notice what it says here in this passage. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. No looking up names, no voting on names, no examining names, no none of that. This is, here's your child, and his name is Jesus. Now, I know we just throw Jesus around like it's his first name and Christ like it's his last name. That's not it. It's Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. But what does Jesus mean? Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Yahshua, Joshua, which means the God who saves. What we need to really lock in on is that Jesus, He's our Savior. There is no life without that. Now, I know when I think about the impossibility of my life, some people, it's impossible for them to believe that they need a Savior. But my friends, look in the mirror. Look at your rap sheet. Look at your character. I'm not saying you're, 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 you're a hot mess, but I am saying you're a hot mess, as I am. Again, it's an impossible God who comes to an improbable person living an incredible gift for imperfect people like you and me. 
We need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. There's not another Savior. So let me just say this. Before we go any further into this Christmas season, before we talk any more about angels, I want you to hear the very first message of the angel is that you need a Savior and I need a Savior. And that Savior's name is Jesus. He is God who saves. If you go through another Christmas season with question marks around, do you need Jesus? You and I need a one-on-one conversation. And I'm serious. I will meet with you one-on-one just to hopefully clarify anything. Because there is only one. There is salvation in no one else. For salvation only comes, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than that name, which is Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the impossible Most High. So he's the impossible Savior. He's the impossible Most High. When that means Most High, you don't really need a degree in Greek to understand. It means here's high, here's the Most High. Okay? Simple, right? Or the highest. There's no one higher. You try to get higher than Jesus, you're going to be dethroned. You're going to lose that battle. Remember I talked about good, good angels, bad angels? Let me tell you about the, 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 the good angel gone bad. His name was Lucifer. You know the name. But you didn't know that the name means angel of light. So he's the carrier of light. Because whenever he was the archangel, he was the head angel, if you will. He led a coup d'etat against heaven. I'm giving you the, 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 the kids version of this real quickly. When he led a coup d'etat into heaven, he took some angels with him and they were cast out of heaven. They're called demons and they're called Satan. Satan means adversary. And yes, I do believe in a literal Satan and I do believe in literal demons. Just like I believe in literal angels and I believe in a literal Jesus. But let me tell you the story. It's real quick, a couple of verses. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. This is what it says. This is the, the snapshot into heaven of what happened on that coup d'etat day. And how, how have you fallen from heaven? How did Satan fall from heaven? Oh, star of the sun of dawn. Are you cut down to the ground? You have laid the nations low. Here's how. You said in your heart. Now, you want to see the original narcissist? It's Satan. Okay? Notice all the personal pronouns. This is what Satan was saying in his heart. I will ascend to heaven above the stars. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Read this last one with me. I will make myself like the most high. My friends, there's only one most high. You might be high, but there's only one most high. And Jesus will not share his most high throne with anybody else. Whenever you look in the scriptures, you go to Colossians, he says he will be first place among everything. He has got to be first in our lives. Verse 32 and verse 35, you see this most high title given to Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon him and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Jesus is the most high. Here, here's what I've, I've got to ask you. The impossible 
Jesus, the impossible Savior, is he your Savior? Is he your, do you know him intimately like that? Number two, do, is he the most high in your life? Is he calling the shots? Is he the one who gets the attention? Because Jesus makes it very clear in the prophet, through the prophet, God makes it very clear through the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise. Listen, there is one God. There, is not, there are not many gods. There is one most high God, and his name is Jesus. Is he the most high in your life? Or is it the things, the position, the power, I hate to be so bold, but let me ask it in a bold way. Are you more like Satan's narcissistic ways or more like Jesus wants us to be? Is it all about me and myself ranking up here or is it about Jesus being the most high in my life? Number three, Jesus is not only our Savior, impossible Savior, not only the impossible most high, he's also the impossible eternal king. Now, you don't have to look very far and look very long in history. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. There will be a day, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, that the America will be no longer. Pray that I'm not here, but the reality is it's just that's the way it works. The Mongol kingdom only lasted 159 years. That's the Genghis Khan. The Persian kingdom, 228. The Ottoman, 600 years. The Roman, 1,000. The Byzantine, the Eastern Roman Empire, lasted another 1,100 years. But even that ended. The Egyptians, as far as I can tell, is the longest reigning kingdom, great superpower in the world of 3,000 years. But even it came to an end. We have a Savior in Jesus. He's our Savior. He's the Most High but he's also the eternal king. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. Forever and no end says it quite clearly. Listen, we live in a world where kingdoms are coming and kingdoms are going all the time. We live in a world where there's 32 nations right now at war. 32 we're talking about drug wars in, in, in Colombia and Mexico. We're talking about ethnic wars in Sudan. We're talking about civil wars in Mali and in places like Afghanistan. That's going on right now. We're living in a world with absence of a lot of peace. And of course, that's not even covering the, the, the front headline war of what's going on in Palestine. What's been going on for two years in the Ukraine. But Palestine announced, excuse me, Israel announced just yesterday. Think about this. Bethlehem will not observe Christmas this year. Don't let the irony of that fall short. Bethlehem, where the Prince of Peace comes, where he is born, where we hope to have peace for all the earth, is not having Christmas this year. That hadn't happened since 1988. Now, that way I make the irony of that is, is that's the tumultuous world in which we live. The world in which not even the place, the birthplace of peace has peace today. 
We hopefully as a church in our Christmas offering, we're going to actually carve off some of our funds of our Christmas offering and we're going to set it in a peace progress fund over here that we're holding it and we're looking for and we're vetting and we're looking for opportunities that we can be peace and bring peace to the Middle East. We don't know when that will be. We don't know when the war will stop. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know, but we will be ready because of your generosity. One of the things we have been vetting out for probably about nine months now is how can we come along Ukraine? Ukraine's been in war for nearly two years now. I know, I know the political world out there says don't do any more funding to here. Listen, forget it. That's Washington. We're humans made in the image of God. And if we care for humanity, it's not about Republicans and Democrats. It's about humanity. And how can we bring peace to people in war-torn areas? There are 1.2 million children alone that are either refugees or displaced people that are Ukrainians. When I say refugees, that means they're living outside their borders of their country, or that means that they're displaced inside of their own country. We have identified an incredible organization. You're going to get to hear from him in a couple of weeks. But, but, but how he or how their organization, the, the Baptist Seminary of Ukraine, is what they've done is they've mobilized their graduates. They've mobilized their students. And they've identified 17 different We Care centers around the country where people who have been displaced, where people who don't have food, who don't have water, who don't have places to live, who need counseling because they have seen war literally in their own face, we're going to help support one We Care Center for hopefully six months. What does that look like? Because what we're trying to do, we can't make a difference in the politics of war, but we can make a difference in one person at a time in them knowing the Prince of Peace. Would you think about that? Would you be a part of that? Again, the Christmas offering is live right now. If you're interested in that, I gave our offering this morning. Think about how, what would it look like to give peace. Number four, Jesus is the impossible, holy Son of God. He is the impossible, holy Son of God. He's our Savior. He's our Most High. He's eternal King. There's a whole lot to unpack there, but He is also the holy Son of God. Now, every one of these, if you look up there, Adam, every one of these is flying in the face of the culture of that day. Let me tell you two of them. That eternal King thing, Herod, Herod was upset when he found out the king of the Jews had been born. You know the story. We're not going to tell it this Christmas story, this Christmas season. Go read it. But the Magi come from the east. They come to worship the king. What happens? Herod hears about it, and he, he's the king. Jesus is the eternal king, but he's the king. So what he does is he has all the babies under two, all the boys under two, murdered. That's why they had to go to Egypt. The eternal king is Jesus, but Herod wouldn't hear of it. Also, whenever you think about the Son of God, who was the Son of God in the first century? In the Roman Empire, the emperor was considered the Son of God. Jesus is flying in the face of modern-day culture as the eternal king, as the Most High, as the Savior of the world, and as the Holy Son of God the impossible 
God came to an improbable person living an incredible gift for imperfect people like you and me. How does, how does Mary even respond to this? Again, put yourself into that 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl from Nazareth's mind. This is her words. How can this be? How can this be? And if you, I I start back to the beginning. What is your impossible God moment? Your impossible moment when you're looking at circumstances and situations that you feel like God has led you into. And it's like right now, this is an impossible mountain I can't get over. For Mary's, how can this be? How can this be? And I thought about people in this room, this service, last service, the, the person who, who went to college and barely made it in, started college out on probation and graduated with honors. How could this be? The, 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 the couple that was infertile for so many years had done so many things, and now they have three children. I think about the refugee family who came over from Afghanistan and how in a Muslim culture, as Muslims, they, they, they literally link up because we start caring for them and they now feel like they have a family in America and it's right here at Grace Point. How can this be? How can this be whenever you're the person in the room who's been diagnosed with a terminal cancer and you've already outlived what the doctors said you would live. How can this be? How can this be when you're a family in the room and you're maybe one of those kids who grew up and got passed around from foster home to foster home and finally there's a home who said, you're ours forever. How can this be? Impossible God moments. Because nothing is impossible with God. We started there, we end there. Nothing is impossible with God. How did Mary, after all of this with interaction with Gabriel, before Gabriel vanishes back into the heavens, she said, behold, I am the servant. She didn't say I'm the mortal imperfect person. She she didn't elevate herself at all. We, the, the, the church has done that in years gone by. She just said, I'm a servant God. Whatever you want. You are my savior. You are the most high. You are the eternal king. You're the son of God. I'm your servant. That's what it means at Christmas time. That's what it means every day of our life when we say, Jesus, I'm yours. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you bow your heads with me? What is your impossible God moment? That moment that God has led you in or through or to, that outside of his working, outside of his hand, outside of him being your savior, your most high, your eternal king and the God who is in your life outside of Jesus being who Jesus is you could not make it today if you don't know Jesus like that 
Do not take another breath in this Christmas season without your breath being that breath exhaled out to the Father saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Jesus, I want you to be my Most High. I want you to be my Eternal King. I want you to be the Holy Son of God in my life. Just tell him in your own words. Trust him with it. Say, I am your servant. Father God, you know every single heart and you're working, you're working. Father, I have to believe right now in this room, you're working, you're touching lives, you're speaking as the impossible God to improbable people about how you want to be and live an incredible gift in all of our lives, no matter how broken and imperfect we are. Continue to work in us, Lord. We are your servants. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.